Hey, good morning. Wow, you guys tired? Are you okay? Welcome. Welcome to the first day of six services here at Cornerstone. Hopefully you all figured that out and didn't show up for the last one or the next one. Um, we've had some fun with that this morning. Um, we're, uh, we're super glad you guys are here. My name is Ryan. I am uh, the high school guy here at the church. Lynn is out of town. Hmm, funny how that works on the first day of six services. Kind of weird, but uh, he just couldn't make it. <laughs> so... Came to him a while back and said, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I got this idea. I think it'll fit in this escape series we're doing. Um, what do you think? And he's like, perfect. It'll land great right here. And I'm like, okay, cool. So he uh, let me take the first day. So we're having some fun. Glad you guys are here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today uh, about escaping some lives um, that are a bit burdensome, some lives that are a bit hollow sometimes, a bit shallow sometimes. Um, more so some lives that that we're living right now that we wish we weren't, that we see a better life and we're going after it. And so today's the last day of the escape series. I'm sorry to say that we'll have to say goodbye to the towers and the fences and all that fun stuff. And uh, it'll be a, a whole new world here at Cornerstone next Sunday. So come check it out. And uh, hopefully we'll have those roads paved. Sorry, ladies, if you had the high heels trying to maneuver through that dirt over there. I'm sure you uh, made it okay. If you didn't, you're probably still out there. Um, but glad you're here just being goofy. Um, today, we want to close out the series, um, but we really recognize that we've called the series Escape. And really, the truth is that for some of us, some of our lives, we have some stuff that you, you can't escape from in four or five weeks. And so really, today is the end of the series, but really, it can be for a lot of us in here, the beginning of a journey for, for a lot of us. Uh, maybe it started last week. Some of us stepped into a relationship with Christ last week after Ron's message. During at some point, you just said, that is true, and I want that for my life. What a cool message it was. I mean, Ron is such a gifted speaker. Is, is anyone agreeing with me, Ron? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, he... Uh, he does a great job of, of, of allowing people the opportunity to see the offer on the table. But for so many people, we hear the offer on the table, and we kind of just leave it at that. We say yes to the offer, and then sort of Christianity, our Christianity anyways, is really cool. I'm heading to heaven. I've figured that out. I'm on my way. I'm heaven bound. But it really is so much more than that. That's why we do church every Sunday. That's why we have small groups. That's why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. So if you flip to Galatians, and we're going to be in chapter 5 starting out. This proclamation, quick, just sentence or two that Paul writes to the Galatians. By the way, the Galatians are a church. They are a group of believers. And so this letter was written to believers... In Galatia, who've had some time to sort of live out the Christian life a little bit. They've had some time to, to kind of to go through some struggles, and some of them have, you know, sort of gone back to a way they used to live. Some of them, he talks about, have uh, not stood firm in their faith. So check this out. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Okay, sounds kind of redundant a little bit at first, right? It sounds sort of like the same thing twice, but you'd assume, you know, someone's setting me free. It's for freedom. You're with me? You're free if you're experiencing freedom, right? And vice versa. He says, so it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, by the way. So currently we are free. Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The whole thing, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Really quick, what he's saying here, the implication of this verse is that you and I in this Christian walk can step into this relationship with Christ and in that moment be free. And at some point in our journey, be experiencing freedom. Have lives of freedom from the things that we once lived for and some things that really just had us tied up that were strangle, strangle holding us in the life of sin. We're free from those things. But the implication here is that as Christians, we can at some point down the road, again, not be free. That at some point in our walk with Christ, we get to a point where if we're honest with ourselves... Our lives are characterized more by not being free than by being free. And that might be the truth in this place tonight. On this last week of the series, we're just sort of, we're talking to everybody, but really assuming that there are some people in this place this morning, excuse me, who are more bound up in sin today than you've ever been. That you're a Christian in this room. That you're maybe even in a small group and you're tied into the church. You're dedicated, but tonight you're anything but free. It's a crazy mystery that you can be free, yet not experiencing freedom. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit. And we're going to talk, uh, it's basically we need to talk about two things. Number one, we can leave this one here, it's easy. The number one thing is that spiritual birth is our initial joining point to Christ. If you're a born-again Christian, some of you will be familiar with those words, that means you are a new creation, a child of God, that upon sort of processing the, the stuff that God is offering and stepping into this relationship with Him, there is a moment where there is a spiritual birth, that you're born again. But there's a second part that is a spiritual life and growth That is a journey and a process that you are currently engaged in right now. We need to distinguish the two because the problem is, and every pastor in America complains about this, sometimes the church and people in general, they just get the the heaven part taken care of, the spiritual birth number one part, and then they go, that's all Christianity is about. I'm forgiven. Right? I'm forgiven. And at that point, there's nothing different about you. Their understanding is that there's nothing different between us Christians and the rest of the world. Meaning people who have come to a saving knowledge of Christ versus people who are still on the journey and haven't gotten there yet. That there's nothing different. And that's not scripture. The truth is that there is something remarkably different about you and about them. I mean, I don't want to say us and them, the whole thing, but honest truth is if you step into a relationship with Christ, there's some pretty remarkable stuff going on in your life, and there's some pretty big differences between you and someone who hasn't. Um, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. 
Has anyone heard that one before? Show of hands. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Cool. That one hasn't come through the cracks yet. Um, I've heard this one quite a lot. And it, it really, what it does is it's, there's some truth to it. I, I sin. I sin. It's sort of confession for Ryan. And I am saved by grace. But people who say I'm just a sinner saved by grace aren't really surprised when they sin because they're just sinners, right? It's not a big surprise when I sin. I'm not surprised and I'm not even that upset because I'm a sinner. Duh. Of course I sinned. I'm a sinner. But thank God I'm saved by grace. And it's a lie that has infected the church. And it has taken away from the fact that you and I are children of God. You and I are the temple of God. You and I are on this journey with God. And he is concerned with our life today. He's got plans for heaven. It's going to be good. But he's concerned with today. And I think we are too. Because we've got to leave this place today. And we've got to go live this Christian life. Because we're going to be alive for a while, most of us. And today matters. And it matters to Jesus as well. That's what this series is about. If the escape series was simply about escaping hell or something eternal, it would have been one week. It would have been last week what Ron said. But instead, it's much more, and it's these five weeks. And it's going to take you the rest of your life on this journey with Christ. So we're going we're gonna to go after it tonight. John chapter 11, if you just go to the left, not too far, it's the brand new, te- it's brand new Testament. That's funny. The New Testament, it's brand new. It might be to some of you. That'll be fun. It's the brand new Testament. I rewrote it much, much worse. Here we go. John chapter 11, verse one. We'll just kind of skip through part of this, but let's lay the story out. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They're sending word to Jesus because this is chapter 11. In the first 10 chapters, Jesus is doing some pretty remarkable stuff. Jesus is healing some people. Jesus is doing some miracles. People know if something's wrong, Jesus can fix it. And Lazarus is actually friends with Jesus. They know each other. The story implies that they're not just, you know, passing sort of acquaintances. It's actually a pretty cool relationship they've got going on. And you know that he knows Martha and Mary. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay, so there's something cool coming, basically. Let me translate that. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick... He stayed where he was two more days. What? This is your first time reading the story. For most of us, we're familiar. But you're kind of going, they need you. Like, can you imagine if the ambulance stopped by Starbucks on the way to picking you up when you had a heart attack? Like, it's kind of the same thing going on here. He's sick. He's dying. And Jesus, for two days, does who knows what. They don't tell us. And it perplexes everybody. Where in the world is Jesus? He's late. Skip it on down. Verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples, quick-witted, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, of course. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. These are the men that changed the whole world right here. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 17. 
On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He's late. Four days dead. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Technical term for what just happened here is guilt trip. (laughs) If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus sort of gives the end of the story away here a little bit. Everyone's bummed out. Everyone is mourning. There are people that have come to visit Martha and Mary and they're mourning the death of Lazarus. He's dead. Nobody else knows the end of the story but Jesus. So we're at a memorial service. Those aren't fun places to be. This is where Jesus is in this moment approaching. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Second time, guilt trip, heavy moment. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. And this is such an odd thing to me, because if you've read ahead in the story, like Jesus has in this moment, he knows what's coming. He knows what he can say in this moment. But what does he say? Nothing. Instead, in verse 35, Jesus wept. No words, no advice, no verse. If anyone knows a great verse for this moment, it's Jesus. If anyone knows the right words to say in this moment, it's Jesus. If anyone knows what to say, God's in control. You've just got to trust that God's in control. He has a better plan. You've heard him. All the lines people give you when something in your life crumbles And they've got advice. And they've got a verse. Am I allowed to say that? That that's a bad idea most of the time. Jesus had the words to say, if any of us do, and he had none to say. Now this is really just a precursor to our story tonight, but I have to stop here so you can see the heart of our Savior. This is a powerful teller to the heart of our Savior. He sees them mourning. He sees Mary and Martha mourning, and he loses it. The God of the universe, the guy with the plan, the one who's already sort of spoiling the end of the story, he could have said a million things to make her you know, comfortable or whatever, but he cries. He weeps with her. To me, that's amazing. Because some of us have a picture of God in this place that is of some far off, not not empathetic, way out there, bulletproof Savior who saved us, thank you, but really isn't too concerned about everything else. Sure, he's got answers, but really he's too big and he's too much to worry about little old me. And if that's your picture of God, you've got the wrong God. You've got the, thank you, you've got the wrong Jesus. You don't have the Jesus of scripture. We have a God in this moment who, when we're hurting, 
hurts with us. That's beautiful to me. It's just amazing to me. But it's not the end of the story by any means. We could talk about that for a few more minutes, but here it is. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he says. The Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, to the people standing by, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. So they saw what happened and they went, that has got to be God. Tonight, we're so familiar with this story that that's dangerous. Dallas Willard, an author, actually said that familiarity can breed unfamiliarity. Meaning that we can be so familiar with something that it completely loses its value. That it completely loses its meaning. The point of this story for a lot of us in this room is Jesus raised a guy from the dead. And I think if we treat this story, which by the way is not a Sunday school story. Let's stop for a moment and just say this. This book was written when these people were still around. So the book of John, written by John, was written at a time when these people are very familiar with the story. And some people who were there were still alive and were still communicating this story to their grandkids and to their kids. This story doesn't exist. This story doesn't survive if it's not true. But for a moment, let's look deep into the story. Let's look at the story, kind of stare at it for just a second. We won't argue about the accuracy of the reliability. That's a different series. But let's treat this as a metaphor for a moment and see if there's anything in here that's true still, if you're skeptical. Number one thing, nothing is impossible with God. The first thing you've got to hear tonight, and the first thing you need to remember is that nothing is impossible with God. Yet again, another cliche statement here at Sunday morning. But the truth is that we don't believe that, even though intellectually we believe that, because I know this is true. Not because I know you or I've heard too many stories, but here's what's happened the past four or five weeks. We've had four weeks or five weeks of series where Lynn and Ron and I have taken the stage and said that there is freedom in Christ, and you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, so you're free. And this life is for you, and the things that are you're in front of you that you need to overcome, completely conquerable. But for you, some of you, you've left this place and before you've gotten to your car, you're processing the message you just heard and the voice in your head is telling you over and over and over again, this one's not for you. You've heard this message before. You've prayed that prayer before, but this one's not for you. You're outside of the window of opportunity in the escape series. Your stuff is too much. Your baggage is too big. Your story is too dirty. Your life is unrescuable. 
And you can't have this one. I'm sorry. And you're actually going to believe in this place this morning that some people are going to hear from God in this moment and they're going to chase after freedom and they're going to find freedom and you're going to believe that God is going to do an amazing work in some people's hearts in the row next to you, but not yours. Because somehow you're outside of the opportunity and it's a lie. And we've got to know that, that it is a lie. It is an absolute lie. And it comes from the father of lies. That voice in your head that says this is going to be a part of your life forever is a lie. A lie. We have to stop believing lies in this place. We have to stop believing that it's too late. There's a line in here twice. Remember Mary and Martha gave him the guilt trip? Said to Jesus, if you had just come sooner, if you had just been here sooner, My brother wouldn't have died. If you had just been here sooner, everything would be okay. Some of us in this place are saying the same thing. If Jesus had just shown up sooner, everything would be okay. You with me? Are you tracking with me? Some of us feel like God is too late to our story. Some of us feel like I'm 45 years old. There's not a chance Jesus can save me from the last 20 years of stuff. The consequences are too much. The consequences are ruling my life. I've got stuff I'm just managing and I can't beat it. The truth of the story is that Jesus wasn't late. The truth of the story is this story got very good as soon as he showed up. Lazarus was dead for four days. He was in the tomb for four days. And it didn't matter how long he'd been in the tomb when Jesus got there. Oh, five days. Dang it. Missed my window of opportunity. I'm going to go back. I'm sorry I was late. That's not the story. The story is it doesn't matter how soon or how late Jesus shows up. It's always okay when Jesus gets there. It is always okay. Your story is okay as soon as Jesus gets there. Your problems, your circumstances, your escape plan is okay as soon as Jesus is there. It's not too late. Second thing, if you remember from the story, Jesus says, move the stone. And what do they say? Whoa! Hey, hold on a second. Don't go near that. Four days he's been in there. That smells. Okay? The embalming process is, it's in its rough stages 2,000 years ago. Four days later, rigor mortis isn't a pretty thing. Don't go near the opening in the tomb. That's nasty. Don't go up there. And and here's Martha. She comes over and she's a sister of Lazarus. She loves him to death. And she's even saying, I know it's my brother, but you don't want to go near the hole in the wall. You need to stay back, Jesus. It stinks. But did you notice the stench of death doesn't seem to bother Jesus one bit? Did you notice the stench of death doesn't seem to bother our Savior one bit? And in this moment, he doesn't go, whoa, you're right, Martha, holy cow, pull his cloak over his nose and be like, all right, I can still work here, but man, you've got some stuff that I'm not used to. Four days, that's a new one for Jesus. Oh, can I get a surgical mask for the son of God, please? This is, this is going to be a rough one right here. This guy's a project. Okay, let's go for it. Did you notice that that's not what happens here? For some of us in this room this morning, the problem is that Other Christians couldn't stand the smell. The problem is that sometimes the church can't stand the smell. And we've come and we've wanted freedom. Some of you have stepped into a church setting and said, Jesus, please, 
help me unravel this stuff. And you showed up to a church somewhere, hopefully not here, where they went, whoa, this isn't for you. You stink of death. Your sin is reeking out of your life. And this is a church. We can't have that here. Leave that church. And let's not be that church. I run a Wednesday night program over here in the high school ministry, and we've got kids that are coming to this church that they don't know the first thing about Jesus, and they are living lives that reek. They're in stuff that I wasn't even aware of until I was 25. You do what? That's possible? Oh my God, you're 14? Oh. We need help, by the way, if you guys want to volunteer. (laughs) I use this as my platform. But I tell my Christian kids, we are going to love them and take steps towards them, even though in this moment they reek. Because the stench of death didn't bother Jesus one bit. That's your Savior. That's your God. He's not angry. He's taking a step towards you. He's not fed up in this moment. He is in love with you. He's not covering his nose, looking away, going, Whoa, 40 years of that. You're out. Sorry, name crossed off. Doesn't bother him one bit. He'll stand right there and smell it with you. Oh, love that. Sorry. I'm excited. Number three. Freedom comes from Jesus. You've got to know this because we try and try and try and try and try to find the solution in so many places that don't work. We try and try and try in the self-help section at Barnes and Noble to figure out how to fix my mess. I got 12 steps, 20 steps, four steps. You try and try. Freedom is in the voice of Jesus. Life is in the voice of Jesus. What we need to understand is that if you've heard the voice of God, you're alive. When Lazarus is in the tomb, Lazarus come out is all he needed to be alive. But he needed much, much more to be unraveled and to start living a life of freedom. Freedom comes in the voice of Jesus, not Dr. Phil. I'm sorry. Is that okay? Freedom isn't from Oprah. Freedom isn't from the best counselor in the world. Freedom's not from me. And the best counseling session I've ever had didn't speak a word of freedom that I didn't find here. Not from Lynn, not from Ron, not from Michelle Rauscher. None of us have the voice of freedom. Jesus does. He's the only one. If we didn't have this, we'd be in trouble because we got nothing without it. Freedom comes from Jesus. In fact, if you go to Luke, I'll just go there for you. Luke chapter 4, first thing Jesus said, eh, second or third. Verse 18 of chapter 4. The spirit, of the, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, proclaim, excuse me, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that was the end of his sermon. Shortest sermon in the world. You're probably like, man, I wish I went to that church. But here's the first thing Jesus has to say about his ministry is I have come to set the captives free. That's my job. That's what I'm going to do. Come with me. It's going to be a great time, but it's about me setting the captives free, not about you, not about your personality, not about my speaking ability, not about Lynn's, none of that. I have come to set the captives free. So we've established that it's not you, it's not Phil, it's Christ who's in you. 
By the way, if you were here last week, Christ in you is your hope of glory. Christ in you is your hope of freedom. Christ in you. If you're trying something else, put it down. If you got some other plan, put it down. Walk away. It comes from Jesus. Fourth thing. A couple more of these and we'll sing a little more and go live this life. Before you can become unwrapped, you must leave the tomb. Before you can become unwrapped, you must leave the tomb. I don't know if you do this, but when I'm reading something in scripture, a healthy habit is to kind of put yourself right into the story. To put yourself maybe into the tomb in this moment. It's dark, so you're Lazarus right this moment. Picture this, cold and dark, and you're dead, by the way, so play with that one. You're dead, wrapped up, linen all around you in your burial clothes. You got the cloth over your face, laying on a rock in there, and all of a sudden, Lazarus, come out! Huh? Whoa, what is going on? Who are all those people out there? What is that? Good grief, is that me? Oh, I can't really move. Ron should have done this skit. He would have used that cool voice he does. It's always Swedish, Lazarus, but... But if you're Lazarus in that moment and you're dead for four days and all of a sudden alive and you're wrapped up in stuff and you hear Jesus and now you're alive and you're going, whoa, that was cool. I'm alive now. I I think I was dead. Where was I? What in the world? Oh, it smells so bad. You're hoping the story goes like this. And if I'd written the story comic book style, here's how it goes. My story goes, Lazarus, here I come. And Jesus stole the castle. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus with the cloak flailing in the wind. Here he comes. Lazarus, I'm coming for you, buddy. Don't worry. Huh? What's that? Who? Oh, whoa. And Jesus is carrying Lazarus out like a wounded soldier out of the cave. He presents him in front of the mass crowd like you guys and goes, look what I have done. I am Jesus. I heal people believe in me or something like that. That's how my story goes. (laughs) That's such a stupid story. But that's not how this story goes. And if I'm Lazarus, maybe, and I'm not writing the story, but I'm in the cave, here's how I hope the story goes. Maybe I hope the story goes, Jesus comes into my tomb, and him and I, one-on-one, mano e mano, deal with this alone, quietly, where no one else can see. And that's not what Jesus does either. He's, he's tempted, I bet you, Lazarus, to say, hey, uh, I got some stuff that those people don't need to see or smell. If you could do me a favor and come in here, we can handle this. You and me, Jesus, you and me, we could, we could unwrap. And Jesus could have. He very well could have gone into the tomb. He could have done whatever he wanted, and Jesus would have been unraveled and on his way. He was a bit of a celebrity after this, mind you. He was. People were chasing Lazarus down, actually trying to kill him because of what happened here. But Lazarus became a bit of a celebrity. He's worried in this moment, I bet you, about what people are going to think about him. And he has to come out of the tomb. Why? Because there is no testimony to the power of God in your life in the tomb. There is no testimony to the healing freedom that can come to you if you stay in the tomb and deal with your stuff alone with Jesus. That's not how he handled this. Come out of the tomb, he says. Some of us are too proud to come out of the tomb and you will remain in bondage. You will remain wrapped up in your stuff, in your tomb, until you decide that it's more important to experience freedom 
than to maintain your glory and to not be embarrassed. There is no testimony to the power of God in the tomb. That is why we do small groups at this church. And that is why we champion those things all the time. If you're not in a community of people right now that can help you unravel some of this stuff, you will never very likely unravel that stuff. Number six, the last one, wrapping up with this, the ultimate end of this series and of this gospel and of Jesus coming to this planet is your full potential. You understand? The ultimate end of this is that you and I would begin to live lives experiencing our full potential. What I mean is your potential in your families and your potential in your relationships and your potential at work and your potential experiencing freedom can only happen through Jesus. And that is our ultimate desire is that you guys would step into this relationship with him and leave behind the ways of the past and that you and I would no longer manage our bondage. That you and I would no longer say this just must be all there is. This is all I've got. This must be what life's all about. That you and I would not compare ourselves to anyone else to make ourselves feel better. But that we would say to God, I want to live this life to the full. And I don't want to manage my bondage anymore. I want to live a life of freedom. I grew up in a house oh, with, a, with an alcoholic father. I had no idea. I was 14 years old or so living with my father. Parents are divorced, and uh, my dad's doing really well. He's doing really well. He's got a great job. My dad is successful in business. My dad was a salesman, a fast talker. Can you imagine that? A little bit of heredity going on here? I could talk a little bit fast. My dad had an amazing job. He was pulling in six figures at one point back in like 1990. So that was a pretty good deal back then. We had a sweet house in North Scottsdale, the whole thing. My dad had, you know, like the number one sales position at his company. And my dad, the entire time, was a severe alcoholic. What I didn't know about my dad was that every night my dad would sneak into his room two liters of whiskey. Every night, two liters of whiskey... In his room, every morning, gone. Severely, severely struggling and suffering. But none of us knew. Completely fooled us. Completely pulled one over on all of us. He lived a life that most of us looked at and went, loving man, Christian man. But every single night, drunk, in chains, in bondage, in sin, until it poured out into his life. And around 93 or 94, we found out in a big way, and he couldn't hide it. And he died. In 1996, my father passed away from drinking. It killed him. And that's sad. That's a sad end of the story. But what I regret the most for my father is that for 20-something years, he was managing his bondage. And at some point in that, he convinced himself that this must be all there is. That I'm just going to have to deal with this. That I'm going to try to function in my life as best I can with this. And some of us 
are doing the same thing. And it might not be alcohol, but in a room this big, I'm, I'm sure somebody in this room is sweating. And you feel like everyone's looking at you right now and you're going, holy cow, why is he talking about this stuff? And it's because you've accepted the lie that that's what life is about. And you've accepted the lie that that's an impossible situation in your life. What you need to hear today and what I've experienced in my life coming through some crazy stuff is that nothing is impossible with God. But you must leave the tomb for God to do something amazing and to unwrap you. Set your pride aside. Take 15 steps towards the small group table. Talk to your wife at home. Talk to your husband. It's time for Cornerstone, if we aren't already, to become a church that is so transparent and so honest about the stuff we're struggling with because we're so concerned with God getting glory, which means our full potential is reached. That's how the story ends. God gets glory. That's how the story started. God's going to get glory. That's how the story ends. A bunch of people put their faith in Christ because they saw Lazarus's story and Lazarus wasn't concerned with his pride. This is the end of the series, but maybe the beginning of a journey for some of us as we attempt to unravel. Let's pray. Perhaps you need to just take a moment and kind of put your own prayer together. That might be an ongoing prayer that starts here and keeps going for some months. But your stuff, your bondage, your linens that are wrapped around you, whatever they are, let this be a place where God uses us, the people sitting next to you, to unwrap those things from our life and experience freedom to the fullest. Jesus said that I have come into this world that you guys might have life, that we might have life and have it to the full. As you pray, we pray, Father, for the people in this room who have stuff. We pray that they would have the courage, God, to lay down their own agendas and hopes, whatever it is that's in front of them, in between you and them, that they put that down. Jesus, thank you that you are able to make us alive. Thank you for the cross, like that song. Let that be the song of our lives, but thank you that today we are progressing in freedom and that one day we will be free indeed. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.